I'm Robert Therrell. And I'm Chase Bridges. And we're both screenwriters. Listen along each week as we either work together to write a new short film or go head to head with competing movie pitches. This is Written By. Welcome to Written by Podcast, number one podcast in the world. Right behind all the other ones. Right behind all the other ones. Guys, I don't know, man. I'm I'm straight up, man. Mm-hmm. I'm just going to say it. Okay. I think we're the number one podcast in the world, right behind all the other ones, except for a few. You know, I agree with that. I agree yeah. with that. There are a few podcasts. We're better than that. Yeah. Yeah. I see a lot on TikTok, and I'm just like, yo. Mm-hmm. Y'all ain't got the drip like us. <laughs> Y'all don't have a written by hoodie in a written yeah. by wall. Dang, I need I need to wear my hoodie too. We should have coordinated. Hey man, it's easier for me because I live here. That's but true. to be completely honest, I've been wearing this thing even really? not on written by. Really? It's a very comfortable hoodie. I wouldn't want to sell these. I'm yeah. not a big fan of the quality. I'm not of either. The logo. I'm glad we tested some out yeah. just with us. But yeah, but yeah, it is a comfortable hoodie though. Very comfortable hoodie. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So, uh, this week is Rival Pitches. Yeah. We're doing biopics, baby. This was a listener suggestion. Yeah, and it's it's one we've been kicking around for a while, but finally yeah. a, a listener sent it in. I'm yeah, like, you gotta do that. Uh, I think we were both really excited about it, but we also had our like reservations because I think we both have biopics that we want to do, and we yeah. were like, should we do that one or should we just keep that in our pocket? Yeah. the The difficult thing about the biopic was there's a lot of great stuff to do, but the key to making a great biopic is doing a lot of research and there's only yeah. so much we could do for a podcast yeah. episode but i i came across a lot of promising people again yeah. my uh one of my dream projects is a biopic and i mm-hmm. didn't do it for the episode because i wouldn't want to like put something out that isn't fully right because you to be. want to do it yeah. one day yeah my uh my pitch for today is the one i want to do okay and i probably will write it and okay. i probably will do it i one day. think i know what this is yeah but i can't wait to I've, find out i've talked about this guy a lot so when yeah. it was time for us to do a biopic when i was like i got to uh-huh. i got to do it yeah so um Anything else you want to talk about before we jump in? I feel like the, usually our intros go on for a little bit, but we really jumped right into it. Yeah, I think, now let's get to these biopics. Right, I I think, wanna, let's learn about some interesting people. One thing about biopics is uh, for most directors, that's their Oscar bait movie. Yeah. It's like either they're a, they're a director that does blockbusters or they're up and coming and they want something serious that's going to make a splash, or it's they do a lot of experimental stuff, but they... They need something that will pay the studio bills. So, yeah. uh, do you think this would be your Oscar bait movie, the one that you did today? Uh, I don't think so, just because of the the tone I take. But also, mm. who's to say? Who knows? Mine is. This is my Oppenheimer. Okay. And okay. I know it's going to sound silly, 
Yeah. When I'm telling you it, but I need you to understand it's going to be played so straight. Okay. Like I'm talking so serious. Okay. Well, you're going I, first this I, week, I, yeah, so let's first. let's get into this. Let's just jump right into it. I I didn't handwrite mine today because uh, I didn't want to handwrite all the research. <laughs> <laughs> I also did something sure. a little different for my pitch today. Instead of like typically, you know, I, I write a couple of the beginning scenes and then mm-hmm. I tell you a little bit about the story and we jump around a little bit today. Um. I'm just going to tell you this guy's life story, a condensed okay. version that kind of mm-hmm. hits all the points that I would want to hit in my movie. Mm-hmm. And uh, it will be very clear what the movie is like yeah. once you hear this guy's story. Okay. So, ladies and gentlemen, Timothy Dexter was born in Malden, Massachusetts in 1747. This is pre-Revolutionary War. Just for... Because I'm... For the people out there that are like me, where it's like, if you say a date, I have no context. Same, yeah. I need you to tell me, like, what events were happening. Mm-hmm. So this is right before, like... Yeah, unless it's 1812, I need to need to know. Right, yeah. I feel that way. The only reason I know that the Revolutionary War kind of started in 1776 is because of that one Hamilton song. Oh, yeah. And I haven't even seen Hamilton. Which, everything you've heard of Hamilton has been against your own will. Yeah, <laughs> but it's been... It's been getting to a point where I'm like, well, maybe I'll watch it. Like, no one's talking about it anymore. Uh Maybe I can watch it. Anyway, so it's 1747. Timothy Dexter uh, was born. Eight years later, he drops out of school. That's right, at eight years old. (laughs) Eight-year-old dropout. (laughs) Eight-year-old dropout, super baller. Um, So he dropped out of school at eight years old to work as a farmhand. But... As he got older, he felt like he deserved better than just to be a lowly farmhand. Yeah. So he married a woman named Elizabeth Frothingham, and she was an older woman who was a rich widow. And uh, he was this young man and decided she needed some company, so he married her and got her fortune. So now that he's got some money, thanks to his sugar mama, Frothingham, that Frothingham his fortune... <laughs> Uh, he began his quest to become a true aristocrat. He wanted to be one of these fancy dudes with the wigs yeah. and the hat. And now he's got a little bit of money. And so he, for his first step, he thinks, okay, um, all the rich guys that I know are in positions of power. Mm-hmm. I need to get some power. And so he, he's like, I'm going to run for office. Mm-hmm. Now, the town of Malden... they weren't so sure about appointing like a bumbling idiot with a second grade education. <laughs> But but <laughs> he harassed them to the point where they were finally like, fine. And they created a position for him. He became the town of Malden's informer of deer. He's an elected official who's tasked with keeping logs on the local deer population. He had to have statistics about the does and the bucks. And he thought he was killing it. Like, day one on the job, he was... So excited and just full of this narcissistic pride because he did such a great job. First day, he triumphantly uh, <laughs> concludes to the to the town what everyone else had already known, which is uh, there was no deer in Malden. <laughs> and so he was like, yo, nailed it. And so he thought, you know, with his political career being a total success. Yeah. <laughs> 
that he needs to set his sights on some greater financial opportunities. Yeah, like moose, sir. Yeah, yeah. So <laughs> Maybe a bear, too. This is where, like, a little bit of history will come in. All right, so in 1775, this is right when, you know, the Revolutionary War is about to break out. Everybody's wanting more independence. The Continental Congress which is what was the first version of America breaking off Mm -hmm. from uh, the English. They decided to establish their own currency, and it was called the Continental Dollar. I think I know who this guy is. Okay. (laughs) Okay. But then the Revolutionary War started, Mm -hmm. and so um, the, the value of the Continental Dollar kind of plummeted because it was like it was just starting, and then the war happened, and so there was like no need for it anymore. Because they were going to be completely independent of England. And so Congress started just printing a bunch more because that's what governments do when they panic, when their dollar starts depreciating. So they start printing a whole bunch of it to the point where uh, it got to the point where the continental dollar was worth less than the money it costed to print it. And, I mean, this tells you how poorly things were being run back then. That's how the army was being paid oh, was no. continental currency. Mm-hmm. And so when the war ended... All of the veterans were like completely broke because their money that they were paid with didn't hold any value. Yeah. So the aristocrats, you know, Dexter's buddies that he wants to be just like, they're all like, well, you know what? Hey, we'll take these continental dollars off your hands and we'll give you some, you know, we'll give you a few cents for them. It's the least we can do. <laughs> and, you know, Dexter, he's like, ooh, I'm a wealthy man. I'll do that too. And so not wanting to be left out, he spent the majority of his wife's savings, family fortune, on this worthless currency. Boatloads of it. Like literal ships full of this stuff. And all the other rich guys are laughing at him and they think he's an idiot because he's not smart. Yeah. You know what I mean? He's illiterate. He's a, he's not good at talking. Is he is he still the the deer informant or whatever? Oh yeah. Okay. He's okay. holding down that position. Okay. With an iron fist. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> but like, um, I couldn't figure out like, would he have a British accent? Because huh. in every re- all the research I've done, it kind of sounds like he just talks like a southern guy. Okay. Like, I mind. Like that's kind of how they talk about him. Yeah. But I like to think. That because he wants to be an aristocrat, everyone else yeah. talks normal, and he talks with a fancy British accent. I think I think it's like that Sunny episode. Yeah, where exactly. Mac and Dennis are trying to talk like aristocrat. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 I'm that's, tracking. This is that's fun. perfect. So, um, so he buys all this worthless money, but then the new government, after the Constitution was really founded, and like they they figured out what was going on. They decided that they would trade the Continentals for treasury bonds worth 1% of their face value, which essentially meant, you know, it doesn't seem like a lot, but it's like for $1, we'll give you one penny. Okay. But Dexter bought these things for like fractions of pennies. Sure. So when he turned them in, he became the (laughs) richest guy in Maud. Like he (laughs) quintupled his fortune. Okay, yes, I have heard of this guy. I've heard you talk about this guy. I almost <laughs> looked into him for my own thing, but I'm glad I did because... Yeah. Okay. Yeah. This so, is great. We're getting... <laughs> so he gets completely lucky uh-huh. and is now so wealthy, yeah. so rich. And so what do you do when you give the dumbest man in America 
the most money? Uh, well, he bought the biggest mansion. Okay. And he started throwing daily ragers. Just Gatsby parties, baby. Yeah. Just getting trashed. And then he also commissioned 40 giant statues of America's heroes. One of them, as it was his, oh. <laughs> he made his own statue. And it even like, I can't remember, I didn't write it down, but on the statue, it even said like, the greatest philosopher of the West or something <laughs> like that. Yeah. So this is the guy we're talking about. Despite all his wealth, people still knew he was a giant idiot. And they're like, yeah. he got lucky once. Mm-hmm. So they started giving him like deliberately awful financial advice to try mm-hmm. to get him to like go bankrupt because they were mm-hmm. sick of having to deal with this guy. Yeah. And so he was, they were like, hey, you know, you should, uh, you should ship warming pans to the Caribbean. He was like, oh, yeah. They're like, yeah, yeah, you should, sh-, you, you know, they, they need warming pans in the Caribbean. Mm-hmm. He was like, okay, yeah, sure. Hey, if you guys say so, I'm down. And, uh, you know, I don't know if you guys know much about the Caribbean, but it's a tropical paradise. They don't need bed warmers. So they're laughing. He sends 40,000 bed warmers to the Caribbean. The Caribbean gets them, and they're like, what are these things? They'd never seen them before. Yeah. And so they're like, maybe they're giant ladles. Hmm. So they buy all of them at an extremely marked up value. And they use them for the sugar and molasses refineries. Huh. And Dexter became even more wealthy. <laughs> so the rich guys are getting all pissed off because they're like, okay, that's, that's ridiculous. Mm-hmm. You get lucky once. Okay. But that was crazy. So then they were like, hey, why don't you go... Uh, Carry some coal to Newcastle, which is an idiom. It was like a popular expression at the time where it was like, it was an idiom used to describe a pointless task because Newcastle was the biggest coal exporter. Like it had Mm -hmm. the most coal in the world. And so it was, ah, go carry some coal to Newcastle. And he was like, okay. Because he thought these guys were giving him great advice. He's been made a multi-billionaire thanks to their advice. (laughs) So... (laughs) That's what he does. He ships up a bunch of ships with coal, and he starts sending them to Newcastle. The second they arrive in Newcastle, the coal miners go on strike. So Newcastle now has no now they have no way of making getting coal. Mm-hmm. So his ship arrived at the exact moment that they were like, "Where are we going to get coal?" <laughs> huh? And so they cleared the entire shipment at an extremely hefty markup. Wow. So now he's made even more money. So he thinks all his friends are geniuses and they're being so nice helping him out. <laughs> Here's what's crazy. He thinks he's the genius. Oh, of course. Okay. He's like, man, I'm a genius. And so he was so confident at this point that he mm. starts making decisions that his friends weren't recommending. He's yeah. just making decisions on his own now. And so uh, one time he got a bunch of stray cats rounded up mm-hmm. in the city or the town. For free, he just rounded up all these cats, like tons of them, and shipped them to the Caribbean because he's like, hey, the Caribbeans need stuff. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and so they send cats and uh, they get, and everybody's like, why would you send cats to the Caribbean? They get to the Caribbean, they have a huge rat problem at the time. <laughs> and so they buy up all the cats to help with the rat problem. <laughs> I like how his solution is just, well, the Caribbean needed one random thing. I would Dude, just send over it. 
Uh, Speaking of the Caribbean, because he sent the since he sold out all the bed warming pans, he was like, "Oh, it must be cold there." So he sends a shipment of mittens and like coats (laughs) and like all this stuff for the winter. (laughs) On the way there, the ship runs into this other ship that's headed to. uh, Oh man, where is it headed? Siberia. And they they meet this ship and they're heading to Siberia and they're like, oh, you got mittens and coats and stuff? We'll take the whole shipment. <laughs> yeah. And so they saw he made a hundred percent profit. It's the world's luckiest man. Right. So then, so then, like, oh, and then one time he he bought up every whale bone in Boston, and this is like right when um, what are they called? Uh, corsets were going out of style, I think, mm-hmm. in the Americas. And so every, they were super cheap. And so he just bought them all up. And then um, France, men started wearing corsets. And it became <laughs> a huge industry over there. And so he sold it to them for a ton of money. So just stuff like that. Everything he did was super successful. And um, so at this point of the story, like people start to be like, well, maybe, maybe he actually is smart. Like if you have a 100% success rate... You're taking the dumbest things in the world and making a profit. Maybe yeah. you're a smart guy. He's not. Let me tell you about his personal life. <laughs> this is the kind of stuff that this this guy, Timothy Dexter, did. One time, he stumbled upon a guy painting a sign to go along with this big new statue of Jefferson, Thomas Jefferson. Mm-hmm. And Dexter, at this point, was so confident. This is like after he's made all his money. And he thinks he's a genius. Mm-hmm. So he walks up on this guy and he's painting the sign for the statue. And he's painting the sign. The sign says, uh, Jefferson, the writer of the Declaration of Independence. And when he sees that, he loses his mind. He starts screaming at this guy. Are you an idiot? Jefferson didn't write the Declaration of Independence. He wrote the Constitution, you moron. And he starts screaming at this guy. Uh, he did not write the Constitution. He wrote the Declaration of Independence. But he refused to believe that he was wrong. But the painter was like, dude, I'm not changing the inscription. So he just pulled out a long rifle and started shooting at the guy until he changed it. Also, I feel the need to explain, like, it's not like at this point it was 20 years, 30 years after it. It had just happened. It had just happened. Like five years before. Yeah. And it was like a big deal. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, let's see. What else happened? He had all these weirdo yes men. Like any great moron that finds himself in a position of power, like Elon Musk, for example. Mm -hmm. They all have yes men, right? We know a couple. Yeah. (laughs) And one of his best yes men was this guy named Jonathan Plummer. And and Dexter paid him to be his own personal poet. And he would write these amazing poems just about Timothy Dexter. About him. (laughs) Only problem was uh, Jonathan Plummer had never written poems before. He was a a fish salesman and a porn artist. Huh. And you know that John Mulaney bit where he's like, the guy's a drug dealer just because John Mulaney started giving him money to give him drugs? That's what this guy was with poetry. Yeah. He he only went along with it because the dude was paying him a ton of money to write poems about him. Uh, Dexter had two children with his wife, who he hated. Yeah. This is the old lady. Uh, who he who he married for her money, but he hated her. She was always nagging. That's what he said. He's always nagging. But mm-hmm. he had two kids. Uh, this is how his kids were described. 
He had a son who was a half mad drunk and a daughter who was a completely mad drunk. <laughs> and he couldn't stand his wife so much that he would tell guests that he wasn't married and there was just a ghost that lived in his house. <laughs> so he would have guests over and his wife would walk in the room and he'd be like, hey, sorry, the ghost. You got, oh, there's a creepy ghost that lives in this house. And so the guests are evil, either like, what is he on? Or, oh, no, I've a seen ghost. my first ghost. <laughs> well, this is the Revolutionary War, man. I bet yeah. there was ghosts everywhere. Yeah. <laughs> but, yeah, so he was just like, oh, that's a ghost. And, uh, I mean, this is a terrible dude. So, like, yeah. like he was beating her all the time. You yeah. know what I mean? Yeah. And so, like, I just like that he was like, this this old woman walks into the room. And he's like, ah, a ghost. And just starts beating her with, a like, a shovel or something. Mm. Really terrible stuff, but funny. Um, so, oh, this is something funny Dexter did. And I think this would be kind of like the big uh, climax of the movie, mm-hmm. you know, towards the end. Uh, he decides to fake his own death. I think I remember something about he this He decides part. to fake okay. his own death because he wants to see who would show up to his huge funeral. Okay. So he throws this giant funeral service. He doesn't tell his wife and kids. They all think he's dead. Yeah. 3,000 people show up. And he's in the bushes watching. And he is so happy. He's like, look, 3,000 people are going to come to my funeral. They love me. Mm-hmm. Everyone loves me. But then he sees that his wife isn't crying. I wonder why. <laughs> so when he sees that his wife isn't crying... He jumps out of the bushes and starts beating her with a cane in front of 3,000 people. So this is this man in his prime, yeah. right? Yeah. <laughs> this is him. But as he gets a little bit older, he decides he needs a legacy. Mm-hmm. And so he starts writing a book okay. called A Pickle for the Knowing Ones. And that's okay. the name of my movie, A Pickle okay. for the Knowing Ones. Yeah. And this book was about 20 pages of unhinged ranting and complaining about politics, religion, his wife, and like whatever else came to mind. There was no punctuation. The capitalization was random. Like the middle of a word would be capitalized because he was illiterate. He had no idea how to read or write. And he had like the worst spelling of all time. He spelled George Washington, J-O-R-J-E, George. Like, it was crazy. You can look it up online. The spelling yeah. is insane. You want to know the worst part of this book? What? It sold like crazy. Really? It was a huge really? success. <laughs> I mean, I could believe it because Drake put out a poetry book two weeks ago. Really? Have you heard anything no. about this? No, I haven't. Oh, it's fantastic. For a lot of the same reasons. Like, it sucks. He at least has punctuation. But oh, yeah, that's it's good. A, well, maybe maybe he got all his poems from uh, Jonathan Plummer. Probably, the fish yeah. Salesman. Yeah. <laughs> okay, so it's a huge success, but he did get a lot of complaints about the lack of punctuation and like spelling. Mm-hmm. And so what he did was in the second edition of the book, he put an extra page at the end, full of nothing but punctuation Yo, marks. I've seen this. I've seen this. And it had a little note, and it said, anyone who feels like whining can just stick these wherever they want. <laughs> That's actually the first smart thing he's done. That's the first <laughs> purely smart thing he's done. That's actually incredible. <laughs> so, ladies and gentlemen, this is the story of the absolute dumbest, mm-hmm. terrible, despicable human being 
who just also happened to be the luckiest man of all time. And this is going to be my Oppenheimer. Because who better to play an absolute moron from the city of Malden, Massachusetts, than this absolute moron who lives in the city of Malden, South Carolina? Thank you. It's a solid, yeah. Thank you. This is this is gonna be my Oscar. Yeah. When I play when I play it with the sincerity of Killian Murphy and Oppenheimer. Oh, exactly. He's so serious about how folks don't need punctuation. <laughs> or they need mittens in the Caribbean. <laughs> and like it would be funny because like this guy would also say I am become death, but he yeah. would think that's the proper way of saying this. I love him thinking that is Cillian Murphy Oppenheimer in his own world. Yeah. But we also see the outside where none of that is. is that, no, yeah, it's not what's happening. I love it. You, uh, <laughs> the thing with all biopics is like it's hard to, it's hard to find conflict in the drama of anything. But I think I think that story has, I think you could center a lot of the conflict on the feud between. He got super rich by accident. A bunch of other rich people are annoyed and want to yeah. take him down. I think that that yeah. could probably sustain most of the movie. I think, yeah, I think like the majority of the second act would probably be them in that like office room, yeah, in the town hall or whatever, mm-hmm. and them going back and forth like, oh, maybe you should send warming pans to the Caribbean. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and he's yeah. like, oh, okay, sure, yeah, yeah, mm-hmm. I can do that. Oh, yeah, absolutely, yeah, yeah. I could, I could picture it as a. I mean, speaking of Oppenheimer, it's fresh on our minds. Yeah. Chris Nolan kind of based the uh, dynamic between Cillian Murphy and Robert Downey Jr. Yeah. Off of the movie Amadeus, yeah. which I think Amadeus would have a super similar tone to what this movie would be. You should check yeah. it out. I've seen, I've seen Amadeus. You've seen that? Okay. Um, it's been a long time. Okay. I thought you said you hadn't seen it, but okay. Wait, Amadeus is in like the biopic about, uh, wait. It's like is a composer. I forget yeah. who it is. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I've seen I've seen that. Okay. They played it in my uh music class in 5th grade. Oh, nice. Okay. But I, I haven't seen it. In I long feel long like time. the the young guy that's disrespectful but just keeps winning. Yeah. That's Timothy Wexter. And you assign like maybe one specific rich character to be that's the, the older guy and you have that comedic feud. I I'm think a you Amadeus. Yeah. Amadeus. 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 Sorry. <laughs> no, yeah, I, th- I think, yeah, yeah, yeah. no, I you think should, you should look into doing this. Yeah, I, uh, yeah, I'll probably end up writing it. I, I remember a, a TikTok about him went viral like a while ago. I remember seeing, I remember pages of the book in that punctuation page <laughs> specifically because it's. Yeah, I stumbled upon him. I was scrolling through Facebook one day, which I hardly ever do, and one of those like cracked articles popped up, oh, yeah. and it was like the luckiest and dumbest man in America. And I was like, well, let's see what this is about. And I fell in love with the story yeah. because I saw so many similarities. <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm not that lucky. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Okay. So, my pitch. Hold up. I have an article put up. There's there's a lot about this dude, and I'm probably only going to be able to say, like, half of it. But basically, the guy I'm doing this biopic about, we're going to open. It's a small church okay. in, like, the late mid-70s, something like that. Okay. United States. There's a kind of weird-looking guy. He's got 
a little mullet. He's got glasses, little mustache, dressed in bright colors. He's preaching, and it's just only a few people in the audience. And people kind of look like they're sleeping. They're tuning him out. He's talking about his life, how he uh, he grew up in a home with an alcoholic dad, a mom that their relationship was rough or whatever, but he found hope in Jesus. But they don't seem to be receiving it. And he gets off stage. He's feeling a little off about this. And, you know, he's some cracking jokes with some other church people. You can tell he's a he's a kind of funny guy. Like you could tell just from his appearance, he's a weird guy. But uh, he's like, I we need more people in the church. You know, this uh, there there are a lot of people coming out of the hippie movement that mm. have have been let down by that. And I feel like we're the perfect people to talk to those people. But how do I get them to listen? And that's when his friend says, "Hey." You know, man, we've just been telling jokes. You're really funny. Is this and... the story <laughs> okay. of Tim Allen? No. Oh, no, okay. it's not. No. <laughs> it looks at me, it's like, you're really funny. Like, if you if you could put some of your humor in with that preaching, it'd probably work. It's the story of Joel Osteen. No. He tries that. He's preaching. He's cracking jokes a little. He's preaching. <laughs> He's saying little little funny little quips like uh, if nothing sticks to Teflon, how do you stick Teflon on a pan? Whoa! Anyway, here's some stuff about Jesus, and people are eating this up. They've never heard anything like this before, and churches are coming in, and you can tell he's he's thriving off the attention so much. Even okay. when he was talking about his childhood, you could see how he was neglected as a child, and oh, he's yeah. finally getting attention for the first time, and he loves it. Okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. But then, uh, you know, the attendance starts to stagger again, and he's used to so much growth, and he kind of misses that. He's like, why why aren't people coming? And it's like, well, you know, you need to find a balance, you know. You're telling great jokes, but uh, they still they still want to hear the real stuff, and you, you have a really powerful story, and, like, pe- people want to hear people want to hear people that have been in a dark place and come out of it. And you, you could talk also talk about the darker things too. And so we see him, we see him on stage and he starts talking about, you know, I want, I want to get real with y'all, you know, being in a family like that, it made me feel neglected. It made me feel alone. I was also a Vietnam vet and I saw some really dark things in Vietnam and and I, I never mentioned this before, but uh, I'm going to tell you guys now. So before Vietnam, I was in college and I fell in with the wrong group of people. I, uh, I joined a Satanist cult and I slowly rose to their ranks and became a high wizard. And I participated in baby sacrifices and murders and everything. But uh, the Lord the saved me. What? <laughs> and then... Everybody is just flabbergasted. They're in awe. And then he cracks a little joke and they're all laughing again. Title slam. This is this is Mike Warnke. And you're left feeling like that is a crazy story. What is who is that? How did this preacher fight in Vietnam, get a purple heart, and was also a former Satanist? But immediately after the title slam. What? You cut to a reporter. He's at his boss's desk. 
It's like, I looked into this. None of this is true. Oh, this is cool. This so, is cool. Who so, is this guy? So Mike Warnke, he, this is, I'll put a picture up for the Spotify and YouTube oh, video. Oh, heck yeah, dude. He's this weird looking dude. He is technically, by like all official accounts, the first Christian comedian. Hot dang. Hot dang. Fits in our wheelhouse. But as I get more into this story, it will just become crazier and crazier that Christian comedy was his day gig because everything else in his life is completely wild. Let's hear it. I'm completely excited. sinister. That was insane, dude. <laughs> yeah. So I should say this uh this story is about a Christian comedian, but uh it 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 has some really dark moments and I, I am putting out a content warning right now. We're oh, getting snap. into some dark stuff. Oh snap. I'm not saying anything bad, but like, you know. Mm. Just dark trigger warning. So Mike Warnke, he rose to prominence in the 80s, and he was an oh, instrumental man. figure in the Satanic Panic. You love the Satanic Panic. You know this panic. about me. Yeah. It's my dream to make a Satanic Panic movie of some sort it is. one day. And yeah, this is this is one of the most instrumental figures in it, because he is essentially, he is a grifter that profited off the Satanic Panic. Okay. So basically the first act of this movie is him telling the story of how he used to be a satanist to this audience <laughs> right as fear-mongering about the satanic panic is starting because yeah it's a really interesting period in history and i feel like we're almost reliving another version of it now are, which is yeah. why it's it's so crucial to like explore this stuff because we're at a time when 24-hour news media yeah. is being introduced for the first time so it's no longer we only report if there's an important story it's like we need to fill time with some stories thus every single negative thing that is happening anywhere is getting covered on the news mm. this has a profound effect on the population they start to feel like the world is more dangerous even though it's not also like little side thing that's when the milk cartons started putting like messing children on the milk carton so every day it looked like a new kid was being kidnapped and there was fear that your kid was going to get kidnapped in the street when we know in hindsight most kidnapped kids are kidnapped by family members but right, uh, yeah. the world felt like Dang. a darker place and this is when dungeons and dragons heavy metal music all this stuff that is vaguely fascinated with scary imagery is coming out yeah, so and they start to become the scapegoat stranger things season four exactly which there is so much 80s nostalgia but like stranger things season four is the only like 80s nostalgia thing i've seen that like starts to touch on, on, on that which is yeah, yeah which is weird to me but uh yeah yeah that's the time period we're living in and people like him he he notices now again he he is the last person you would expect to ever be a Satanist. He's a really goofy guy. He looks he, like Weird Al. Yeah. He, he's a more heavyset Weird Al. He has big, thick glasses. He has a mustache. He has a mullet-type hairstyle, which I looked it up. It is called the Tennessee Waterfall. That is the there name is, of baby. the hair. Hey, I might be getting one. Yeah. <laughs> and his whole comedy stick yeah. is... He talks a little like this. He loves to talk about how he's just a little crazy. 
He's just a little weird, oh. you know. So Christian comedy hasn't changed that exactly. much. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He's one of those people that very strongly identifies as quirky, you know. <laughs> He's about, like the first 10 minutes of any of his stand-up sets is just now, now nah, I know y'all church people aren't used to do this to look like me. I'm just a little weird. It's a little crazy. <laughs> and so he tells just the Dang. most the most safe basic comedy. Okay. But he has he has no K stage presence, so he's killing. Yeah. But then halfway through all his sets, he starts talking about how he used to be a Satanist. And but, he he made that up, right? Yes, yes. So the first the first half of this movie, like going going into the second act after, you know, everything we just witnessed, he we are seeing an amalgamation of basically three recreations or just three three stand-up sets that he's doing. Oh, okay. That's cool. So we're seeing him tell some jokes and then him telling the story of how he became a Satanist. <laughs> we are intercutting this with a reporter. Yeah. who is investigating and he is talking to the people that were actually around him at the time because here is here is what the biggest thing that raised alarm bells that this guy was making everything up which is he claimed that he started at a community college the mm-hmm. community college is where all this stuff happened then he got enlisted into the military he had to join the navy go to vietnam mm. And he claims that his entire testimony from starting to get into Satanism to coming out of it, being saved, took place just while he was in college. Somebody noticed that he was only in school for nine months. And so (laughs) I'm about to tell you, I'm about to tell you everything that happened supposedly, allegedly in in this nine month period. Hey, it's a long time. Because here is one thing which I want the movie to portray. Mike Warnke is still alive. He has a YouTube channel, and he still maintains that he didn't lie. Oh, snap. So he's doubling down to this day. So he will say that he embellished some stuff for comedic and entertainment purposes. How big of him. (laughs) Yeah. And he also changed some details to protect some names or whatever. But That's crazy. What's his name? Mike? Mike Warnke. So... According to Mike Warnke, in the nine-month period, he's in school. Because we are, we are shooting his side as faithfully and literally as he says it. So you could see how extra it looks. But in school, he went in, just a fresh-faced freshman. He made a lot of friends. He had a lot of friends. And everybody thought he was so cool and they went to him for advice about everything now this is what he said. that's what he says because he's just that guy <laughs> he's that guy everyone likes <laughs> he eventually <laughs> just out of curiosity with some friends they start a fraternity together and the fraternity people are like hey we know of this satanist cult and we're gonna check it out you want to come with us and he's like yeah i'm gonna do that and from there he got hooked on drugs oh first it was weed he smoked a little weed but it was a gateway drug it was a gateway drug he eventually started doing heroin oh that's a hell of a gate (laughs) (laughs) he gets addicted to heroin (laughs) he he apparently is shooting up so many needles he has scars 
on his arms, which we're going to see in these stand-up sets. He's wearing short sleeves. There are no scars, but <laughs> no one seems to notice this. Oh, yeah. He gets heavy into heroin. He almost ODs on the heroin. Oh, man. People leave him out in a dumpster oh, to no. die, but he manages to survive. Apparently, his school is one of these schools where they're testing out LSD. He also gets hooked on LSD. And <laughs> we're instantly going to cut to this reporter calling the school. It's like, hey, did you, you test people on LSD? No. The person on the that. other end bursts out in laughter. They're like, who said this? A guy named Mike Warnke. They burst out in laughter, hang up. This is a common thread. Most people this reporter contacted about Mike yeah. Warnke, he was just immediately met with laughter <laughs> out oh, of how outrageous man. this was. But so Mike Warnke, he has his whole drug escapade yeah, from weed to heroin to LSD. That's right. <laughs> while he's hooked on this drug, he gets involved in this Satanist cult and he starts off small. He starts out oh, yeah. as one of the little guys. The baby Satanist. But he works his way up the ranks. Well, you had to have ambitions. He becomes the high priest. He becomes the high priest. He had that grind set, baby. Yeah. He, uh, at all times, he had at least two women that wanted to have sex with him. Because, again, he's such a cool guy. He's such a cool guy, and he's the high priest. And so... <laughs> Yo, man. Yo. I immediately was like, that's such a thing with like someone who obviously didn't to say. Yeah. It's like yeah. two whole women. Yeah. At all times. Yeah. yeah. I think of that Chris Rock joke where he's uh -huh. like, yeah, I had an affair with two women. And then he's like, I know what you're thinking. I work in FedEx. I got more hoes than you. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> no, you, you are getting at the exact thing because we are immediately going to cut to... A reporter talking to an old friend. It's like, did he have two women at all times that were always having sex with him, even when he didn't really want to have sex because oh, they just wanted to have sex with him so bad? It's like, no, of course not. He, he barely had friends because people found him to be a little annoying. <laughs> Dang, man. It's like, wait, so no one ever came to Mike Warnke for advice? It's like, no. No one would come to him for advice. How funny would it have been if they'd been like, hey, did this guy have two women on him at all times? Yeah. And they were like, are you kidding me? He had four women at yeah, all yeah. times. But okay, so he apparently becomes the high priest of the Satanist cult. Where <laughs> at the time, they are regularly doing human sacrifices. And this is why there's a content warning. Because apparently they were involved with a lot of ritual rape. Too. Because this is this is the thing that everyone is scared of in the 80s. He yeah. claims that. Uh, he does go into detail about one alleged event that I won't, even yeah, for this I podcast with a content wouldn't. warning. But uh, And he says that he did it? Yeah, he says he did this on stage. He does give the caveat that he never participated in anything sexual. He claims he was just Jeez, around when these things were happening. But also, he says he was the high priest. But again, we, we are going to show him during his stand-up sets talking about this. Just to drive in how crazy of an era this is. Everyone's he, going crazy. He openly admits on stage to of being assault. a part of assault and rape. And, and everyone is like, 
Ah, but he's good now. That's not even the word. Like, because he's, he's already worked his way up to the high priestess. He's high priest. He's given this crazy number for the amount of people this cult has killed. He says there are about 1,500 people in this cult, and he's in charge of them all. But then he starts to travel. He travels around the country. Wow. He claims he went to a Satanist convention in California, and there he met a little guy named Charles Manson. Hey. And he and Charles Manson were great friends. I believe that part. Like, if you're going to have a a cult meeting, like a satanic cult meetup in California, he's probably there. Yeah. We cut to the reporter. He's looking at some old papers. (laughs) Oh, no. (laughs) The year before he enlisted into the military when he was in college, Charles Manson was in jail. There's no way they would have met. Maybe the meetup was in jail, you know? That's where most Satanist cult leaders hang out, I think. I also want to point out that throughout the time, we're going to pull from, like, about three different stand-up sets. Throughout all these sets, he is also... We're going to cut from him saying the darkest, most disgusting thing Yeah. to all these jokes, which are... Clean, fun jokes. Yeah, and you you know the vibe yeah, of I Christian comedy. So it's you like... Know uh, the, uh, how does Moses make his coffee? He brews it. Yeah, like exactly. yeah, 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 yeah. And then we're seeing people in the audience. We are going to specifically hang on a father and a son. And he kind of ages a little, like just a little, like by a year or yeah. two throughout all these. Because they'll become important later. But the reporter starts digging a little more. Oh, oh, he also, throughout his cross-country excursion, he says yeah. he marched with Martin Luther King. I mean, hey, Satanists don't believe in racism, you know? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Which it is, it's weird in telling to this culture that at his evilest, he was he uh, fighting for civil rights. <laughs> That's really funny. Because yeah. <laughs> it, 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 with the crowd he's playing to, it plays as... MLK was probably a Satanist, too. Like, that's kind of the, the oh, underlying, you know. Dang, yeah. man. But anyway, all this from just getting, starting a little fraternity with his friends, getting hooked on every drug imaginable, right. working his way up to high priest, traveling Got around it. the country, commanding 1,500 people in a cult, Manson. all supposedly happened in nine months. Hey, uh, great way to spend nine months, yeah. I think. yeah. Our reporter is digging a little more. He's talking to some old friends. He's like, did you did you guys really start a cult or something? It's like, well, everyone was a little interested. Like, we had Ouija boards. Everyone kind of did it once, and then that's where it ended. And we did start a fraternity, but it fizzled out after a month due to lack of interest. Because <laughs> a lot of us didn't have friends, but especially not Mike, because everyone thought he was annoyed. And Dang. At one point, Mike claims that when he was high priest, he had magical powers and could make fireballs with his hands. Listen, man, you're doing the opposite job of convincing me not to join. You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. He he claims when he was a child, he figured this out. He stared at a building, summoned Satan's evil energy, and the building caught on fire. As a child? As a so child. So he was a Satanist as a baby, too. He he had evil influences in his life because of alcoholic dad or whatever. But uh, he talks to a childhood friend. He's like, did you really burn down a building? It's like, no, that building didn't burn down. It used to be a restaurant. The restaurant went out of business, and a church moved in. The hmm. building is still there. It was a, it was a jack-in-the-box. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. So... That is about leading up to the midpoint. So we know 
everything that dude says is completely crazy. And we have we have shown his side and his exact words and seen it visually. You see how ridiculous it is. Yeah. But the midpoint is he's finishing up one of these talks and he really drives it home as I was in here in this dark cult, but Jesus took me out. I uh, when I had to enlist in Vietnam, some people there introduced me to the gospel. You cut to a reporter talking to someone. And he's like, oh, no, he uh, he went to Campus Crusade for Christ in college because he liked a girl there. That's when he converted, <laughs> not even in Vietnam. But still, he's driving it home. And, you know, there's a lot of dark stuff going on in the world right now. You see it on the news. You see it in the papers everywhere. Kids are getting snatched up. The world needs this message right now. And if you help me out, me and my team are going to save people but you you guys need to be on the lookout because these satanic cults they're here man there are thousands of them i want to see a clip so bad we have an anti-occult ministry that walks all over this united states and in some foreign countries too at warnke ministries we deal very heavily in the area of occult crimes not only do we do seminars for police departments and law enforcement agencies and churches and any other interested civic group that wants to do something about the problem of occult crime, we also help the police prosecute people who have committed crimes in the name of Satan. And everybody just stands up and applauds. They're going crazy. Yeah. I bet they're going so yeah. insane. So, again, the first half of this movie mm-hmm. was kind of his story becoming the sameness and conflicting it with reality the second half though what we're doing is we're going to show how his success has actually impacted the world because on one hand he's just a crazy pathological liar whose main motivation is he just wants attention but what's crazy is he hits at just the right time where there's all this panic that he ends up doing irreparable damage to so many people's lives because essentially this message kills he is on the forefront of the satanic panic in the 80s all throughout the 80s he is selling out these churches touring again he's like the first real christian comic christian comedy wasn't even really a thing before him he kind of invented this whole industry and he's talking about how he is the satanist and meanwhile he he, of course, as you would imagine, is not living a perfect Christian life. Oh, he, no. He has been married three times. He's been married three times. Well, he had to make he had to make room for his first wife and yeah. the two women. Oh, exactly. That yeah. are with him at all yeah, yeah, times. Yeah, yeah. That's three. That's three. <laughs> yeah. He would regularly drink to excess. Uh, his road manager in him wore matching gold shades and carried batching revolvers wherever they went very joe exotic yeah 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 kind of he he eventually had his own plane he would go to these places in limos and his first wife and him they ended up divorcing and he basically framed her for some stuff that she didn't do like he cheated on his wife but he claimed that his wife cheated on her so he could like get out of the divorce with the church while he's doing all this his comedy albums are selling out he marries a new wife named rose and rose is actually also kind of a con woman herself she claimed to be a holocaust survivor dang and again like in the 80s where it's even a little more recent she's blonde 
Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. He starts to claim even more wilder things about the cult. He also just realizes he could get away with anything because it's the 80s and no one Googles stuff. Right. And so he claims that, oh, I, I have become a doctor in philosophy. I got two doctorates in the mail <laughs> through Dang. mail school. Mail school. Rose and him are writing books. Warren Key writes a book detailing his time where he used to be in Satanism, and it becomes a bestseller. Of Rose writes a book about her own life and her life with Warren Key, and it is so loose. It reminds me of the book from your character. It is so loose and gets so much wrong. She gets her own wedding date wrong <laughs> in Dang, the book. Son. But he's talking about how he was in all these cults and everything. Meanwhile, we're following this reporter, but we're also we're following one of the families that saw all his comedy sets because his kid is friends with people that are just into D&D casually mm. and it's a fun thing or into rock music and it's a casual thing. He even dips in every now and again, but then his parents start to get really worried and start to try to frame these other people for essentially being secret cult members. And the thing is, the police department took all this incredibly seriously. Mm -hmm. And this is the main thrust of this act, which is Mike Warnke got so big and he is right at the advent of 24-hour television. Mm. They're looking for time to fill. Everybody is worried about Satanists. Like, who could we get on our TV show to talk about Satanism? Was so, this dude the original Alex Jones? Yes. Yeah, so, well, <laughs> worse than that, because... These aren't just any networks. These are major networks. So he he was on most major news shows. He was on Oprah several times. Wait, Oprah was around? Talking on this? Oprah. Yep. She's yep. old, bro. She, yeah, yeah, she is. He was on Oprah a lot. Uh, 2020 did a whole 30-minute piece where he goes in detail about his time as a Satanist. Jeez, man. <laughs> and the thing is, is that... The police department is taking this incredibly seriously. Damn. They're seeing this expert touted on TV. And so local police departments and eventually the FBI start talking to him. It's like, you need to be our guy on the inside. Like, tell us everything about these cults. And he is so deep in the lie, he can't say anything else. And so he gives them all this information about how all the, there are all these cults with 1,500 people at one point, the police suspected that there are a thousand satanic cults in all the United States. Each satanic cult had a minimum of 1,500 people. And according to Warren Key, to join the cult, you had to kill somebody. So 1,500 people per 1,000 cult means that over 500,000 people were supposedly getting murdered a year during the million. 80s. 1.5 yeah. million. Yeah. And so, and so the police department was taking this incredibly seriously, and it was going to take a good five years before they realized half a million people aren't disappearing each year, or else we would know about it and we would find bodies. Yeah. But again, they think this is an incredibly pressing issue, and so they start arresting a bunch of people Dang, that, again, man. are just into innocuous stuff that... Are just into stuff that is slightly countercultural, maybe a little too into music. At this point, uh, a conservative lobbyist convinces Congress 
to basically try like hear out a bunch of metal musicians the lead singer of twisted sister had to testify before congress and say that we aren't putting hidden messages in music and everything and this is when we're going to see stuff that involves the kid like he's going to drive past people that used to be his friends and they aren't going to be hanging out there or he's going to see an older person that he knew that's into music like being taken away in handcuffs and everything and that's when it's like this dude is funny and all his stories are funny but like it's, it's not funny yeah, what he caused exactly yeah yeah uh he also uh he beat his second wife and they divorced and he threatened her if she ever told anyone so she didn't tell anyone about later and she's a notorious liar but somebody else did corroborate that uh like a, a store clerk saw that saw she was beaten up or whatever so that did yeah. happen Mike Warnsky and his new wife started Warnsky Ministries, and they were taking a bunch of donations, just saying they were going to help former Satanists. They made a ton of money. Exactly. They made a ton of money. They made a lot of money. They made so much money that he started his own Satanic cult. That's how much money he made. Yeah. So this is like the really dark moment, but our reporter finally gets this story done. He has interviewed all these hundreds of people i i read the report it's for cornerstone magazine they're a they're a christian magazine which is probably the only reason it took was because mm-hmm. it was coming from other christians but it, it is very thorough and he interviews a lot of people and so there is no doubt in anyone's mind that he did this the article gets published and I want to have this really good monologue moment for the reporter mm-hmm. kind of drives home the theme because again we're we're living in it again right now yeah because we see it happen in the 80s it's happening again like anytime media changes yeah that makes misinformation all the more possible because we haven't figured out the new media the 24-hour yeah. news we didn't have it figured out a lot of stuff got slid under the cracks and all of a sudden it's like we're back in the Salem witch trials yeah. and we're believing this random stuff with no evidence. We've seen that again yeah. because the internet has come up another new form of media that we don't understand. It's like, again, culturally we've taken a step back a little to the point where a year and a half ago, hundreds of people went to dc because they thought jfk jr was going to come back to life you know yeah and i just this monologue that gets at we need to publish the story because when times are scary we we envision these scary monsters and we create these grotesque images that personify the scary things going on in real life and and people latch on to that and but it it's not enough like people want someone to blame for their problems and the image of these monsters gets assigned to the easiest person to blame the most vulnerable person that can't defend themselves Mm -hmm. but in reality the monsters don't look like the vampires or the goblins or ghouls or anything they look like warren key they look like these fun loving just little goofy guys that have your best interest in mind but are secretly living this double life they don't have sharp teeth they don't have red eyes 
And if if we think that's what monsters are, we're never actually going to catch any monsters. We need to we need to put this monster to rest. And so the story gets published. Immediately, Warren Key denies it, but it is just too thorough. Eventually, he tries to say that, well, I had to embellish some stuff, and, you know, I actually, I changed a lot of stuff to protect some people, but it's all still true. I was still in the Satanist cult or whatever, but that kind of does his career in. And so, where we leave him is present day, Mike Warnke <laughs> I can't believe this has still around. a YouTube channel. He still tours churches, not to the point that he did in the 80s. Right. But some churches will still have him. Yeah. And he, he will talk. He doesn't do a lot of comedy anymore. Well, yeah. But he will preach. And it it's the story of someone that is just a pathological liar. And some of the interviews with the people that knew him, they said from a young age, he expressed interest in being anyone but himself. Mm-hmm. Honestly, if he went mm. into acting, all this probably would have been avoided. He, uh, Some people said that he would randomly, mid-conversation, switch personalities. He had, he had a few key alter egos that were called the Scotsman, the Jew, the Catholic priest, and the black guy. And like as it, a bit? Or do you think he could actually as, have been... As a bit. He will just oh. talk in a bad accent. Oh. And when someone called him out saying, maybe you shouldn't talk like you're black, he said, I actually am part black because a gospel singer once told me I had a soul. And that's why I can do that bit. <laughs> I mean, if the gospel singer said it. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> I haven't even gotten into all the claims because I didn't have time to like organize all this stuff. Yeah, but he, do some uh, rapid fire ones. So he said he had a three inch scar where people would cut his wrist and drink his blood. Cool. He used to claim he was part Indian and would also do Indian rituals. That's fair. He was fascinated with the Catholic Church from a young age. Yeah. He just stumbled into evangelical church. So, like, if you look at all the Satanist ritual stuff, they're all very heavy, just Catholicism-based. Catholicism Interesting. So you're saying Catholics are Satanists? Is that what yeah. you're saying, Robert? Uh, he regularly said <laughs> that... Yeah. No, I'm not. No, I'm not. <laughs> he regularly said that he drank blood and ate human flesh. So you could add cannibalism yeah. to the thing. I want, I want a scene where he is talking to the FBI, and he says, he's telling the stories, and an FBI agent goes, wait, so you're admitting to all of us that you have committed murder, you are part of ritualistic rape, and you have cannibalism. cannibalism. And you're admitting that to a group of federal officers. And he just stands there. And he's like, uh. And then the other officer goes, well, you're good now. You're good now. Because that was what That's everyone said. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I but wonder, yeah, yeah. It, movie just closes on we get a picture of sad Warnke. And somehow there are people that are still willing to listen to him. And the end. Mike Warnke's story. Yeah, man. How old is he? He is... Hold up. I got his Google pulled up. He is 76. It's crazy that he's still around. Like, it's almost like, how do you not go to jail for, like, psychological warfare? You know what I mean? Like, he... he I know, yeah. Influenced yeah. an entire country. Yeah, and... People at, were jailed. At one point, he was making $5,000 a day on these church tours and all his Satanism anymore, right? stuff. No, no. He's a... 
his second or third ex-wife got a lot of it in the divorce also his uh, his comedy albums are great to look at i'll put them on the spotify and youtube but we have a one in a million totally weird because oh, he's, he's just a, a weird, weird guy. guy jester in the king's court he's making that little face that's a good name he's just a little weird yeah that's a good name uh hey doc great album yeah dang man uh you ever seen the movie shattered glass I have. That was that was a big inspiration. Kind of inspiration, yeah. That's what I was thinking about when you told me the journalism part. For those of you that don't know, Shattered Glass is a story of uh, this journalist. His last name was Glass, and he was lying. Yeah, and yeah. So there's this whole investigation on on his lies. Yeah, and again, since since this is an '80s period piece about the Satanic Panic, uh, we want to lean into horror aesthetics, of course, especially during the part where we're we're showing everything that he says from his what side like yeah we lean heavy into it kind of looks like suspiria it kind of looks like malignant you yeah. know uh similar to how we introduce a little horror and troubled date you know we're introducing yeah. a little of that campiness into this biopic man this yeah. was really good yeah i really hope you it make is this an interesting story and i'm i'm so inclined to make because I'm fascinated with the satanic panic, but also there's this whole Christian comedy angle, which is, yeah, you know, our good friend is one of the most like more popular, biggest yeah. up and coming comedians. We've done work for the Bigger biggest st- current yeah. comedian, yeah, yeah, and and I, you know, I've met some of the worst christian comedians too but we yeah yeah <laughs> that was gonna yep. say you i didn't want to <laughs> Me, i didn't want to speak no. for both of us yeah. <laughs> Yeah, it is a strange story. And again, it is so strange that the first Christian comedian is also responsible for a lot of innocent people being in jail. That's crazy. That's really crazy that uh, that wasn't that long ago. Oprah. Yeah. When the second you were like, Oprah, I was like, Oprah, man? Yep. Yep. Jeez, dude. That's it. Yeah. Wow. Yeah, this is something you got to make. It. Yeah. You got to make it. Um, and hopefully there's a part for me. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> but no, seriously, this is a really great story. Yeah, I guess you have to wait till he's dead. Otherwise, you have to get the life rights, and in which case, I don't think so, he'd give you. The thing is, <clears throat> life rights are weird, because I hear the Script Notes hosts talk about this all the time. It's like, sometimes, maybe you want to option a book. A lot of times, producers will option a book just so they kind of have something to do. Like, it proves that they're useful in a way. Oh, interesting. Because the thing is, you can't copyright historical fact. If something happened you factually in it. history, anyone or can say happen. anything. Yeah, yeah. What I couldn't do is I couldn't copy his comedy sets word for word. I would have to get the vibe have to of the comedy. the vibe of it without actually. Yeah. That's interesting. I wonder if... I mean, by the time you got to make something like this, he might not be around. Yeah. Well, I also... Part of me is like, I want him to see it, you know? You want him to see it? I want him to just exist mad and alone. And, uh, yeah. Yeah, it's crazy yeah. that he's alive. I, I looked at his YouTube channel while you were talking. Uh-huh. It didn't last long, but there's some wild yeah. titles. Yeah. Here, let me read my favorite one. So his channel is called Mike Warnke Official. And there's... <laughs> my favorite video title is... Mind Your Own Business, Period. <laughs> he uh the last book he wrote it was a few years after the article came out he wrote a book called friendly fire for christians who have been hurt 
by the church or something like that, you know, <laughs> which is funny because uh, a former, <laughs> the former university president of our Christian school, yeah. he wrote a very similar, similar book thing. after he got ousted. It's a, it's a very tried and true method for it's like they're people. not original they yeah. all are the same that's crazy this is right up your alley i, I really do think you should at least start writing it when yeah you, when you finish I'm the curious about project. and and the best part about it is i'm not going to say any names but i actually have i have an mind. actor in mind yeah. i have an actor in mind for it's this not guy me, not me. a famous actor but someone that yeah. we know someone's so. famous to us yeah in our hearts uh-huh yeah, wow, man, that was really great. Hey, I think this whole episode was really dope. I love this episode. And I also think that, because I've heard you talk about that guy yeah. before. Next time you just aren't working on anything, just like throw together. Yeah, I have a plan outline. in my head right now of my writing schedule. I'm going to finish the what I'm writing now. Mm-hmm. I'm getting close. Yeah. I'm at 40-something pages. Uh, after I write that, I have a really funny project I want to work on. Yep. It's just a, it's a, but it'd be a pilot, so it wouldn't yep. be near as long. Um, and then I want to, I want to either work on a soap opera project, or maybe I'll write this. Maybe, yeah, yeah. But same for you. Once you finish what you're working on now, sure. you should really, yeah, because yeah. this is the kind of thing I think you could afford to do at low budget. I know, depending on locations. Like there's period pieces involve a lot of cost, but you could you could find homes that still look like the 80s if most of it's going to take place inside or in a church or something. It, you got to be creative, but it's yeah, doable. Yeah, it's possible though. Yeah, especially if you get some sort of funding. Yeah, I mean, you uh, can do it for yeah. what a million. You can do it for something a million like that. Yeah, yeah. The uh, the listeners are going to have a hard time uh, voting this week. I mean, I sincerely would vote for yours because yeah. I really do think that's a yeah. crazy. I mean, I would story. vote for. I've heard people talk about how that should be a movie though i actually because in preparation for this i completely forgot about mike warnke yeah i looked into that guy yeah but i remember that you talked about him so i didn't do it yeah and then i found this baseball player oh yeah tell me about this guy there there's this baseball player he was a pitcher and at the time he was the best pitcher ever i can't remember his name but uh he was a really weird dude similar to your guy which is he would (laughs) regularly get distracted during games like if there was a cute puppy in the audience he would just abandon the pitcher's mound pet the puppy during the off season he would disappear (laughs) for months and then people would just randomly find him like wrestling an alligator or it turns out he joined a theater troupe it was touring the u.s for yeah just a yeah that's very much a charlie day type character oh yeah well uh my character and we need to wrap up here but uh my character the pictures of him that I saw in one of the books kind of look like uh, old boy from Secession, Colkin. Oh yeah, he kind of looks yeah. like uh, what's that Colkin's brother? Name? Kieran. Kieran. Yeah. He looks like Kieran Colkin. I mean, I would want to play him, yeah. but he does yeah. look like Kieran Colkin, and I think he would do a great job. Yes. Yeah. But uh, yeah. yeah, hey, thank you guys so much for listening. Yeah, uh, this has been Rival Pitches. Yeah, be sure to vote for which one's your favorite. Here are the minute pitches. I wrote a biopic about the dumbest and luckiest guy in history, Timothy Dexter. This guy made his fortune by taking terrible advice and getting super lucky. Everyone hated him and so they would give him this crazy advice like, hey, you should sell bed warming pans to the Caribbean. And then he did it 
and they used them as ladles, so he made a, like a fortune, even though there was no need for bed warming pans in the Caribbean. And then he was like, oh, well, so since they, they must be cold there, because they needed all these bed warming pans, so he was like, I'll send mittens and sweaters and everything. And then the ship on its way to the Caribbean met someone headed to like Alaska, and so they're like, well, hey, we'll buy the whole stock. And he just kept getting lucky like this. And this dude was super absurd. Like, he hated his wife so much, he told everyone that she was dead, and then they would come over and she'd be in the kitchen and he'd be like, no, 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 that's her ghost. I mean, one time he faked his own death and then thousands of people came, but his wife didn't seem to be that upset, so he got out and started beating her with a cane. This is the craziest guy of all time and I think we need to tell his story. I wanna make a biopic about Mike Warnke. Now, this goofy looking guy that you may not have heard of was the first Christian comedian ever, but that's not the crazy part. The crazy part is that he convinced an entire generation that he used to be a satanic high priest. Now, this is during the 80s, and he was one of the main instigators of the satanic panic, where everybody was terrified of satanic cults and hidden messages and songs and D&D, and it's because of people like him, because he was always fascinated with telling stories. That's what made him a great comedian, but he found out he can make more money by exploiting the church and telling people he used to be a Satanist. He ran a giant ministry, which was all a sham, and he ended up being exposed by two journalists because they realized some of his claims were pretty crazy. And listen to the full pitch, because some of the stuff he claims is super insane. Why do you still have the hammer? Because... I can't be contained. <laughs> <laughs> Guys, thank you so much for listening to that episode. This is one of my favorite. Me too. Yeah. Uh, biopics. I think we both went hard in the paint on this one. We did. Yeah. It uh, it felt like one of those history podcasts I listen to yeah. every once in a while, where it's like you just hear about a an interesting dude. Guy, yeah. Y'all got to hear about two interesting dudes. Yeah. In a funny way. Yeah. Uh, you done a lot of research on your guys since the episode oh yeah that's true i uh i think i mentioned in the episode but i've i've been fascinated with like 80s satanic panic mm. 80s church culture for a long time and i had even i have a draft of a film somewhere where i was even like i'm gonna make a short film and i'm gonna have a warnke-esque person yeah. in there as just like a quick oh, snap. yeah but uh yeah, I started diving more into his story. It actually, I uh, I got his, his book. book. Can I see it? Yeah, it's The Satan Seller. The Satan Seller. Yeah. And uh, I've actually, yeah, I found that book. And online, I was able to check out the journalists that exposed him. That's super cool. Wrote a book, which has like everything they came across in their research for the article. And then a bunch of interesting stories about how they you know, figured it all out. And so even like doing more research, there is stuff in my pitch that I would change a little. Like I know more about Warnke's early life. And so kind of the first act I was dramatizing a lot, but now I know more of what really happened. And even like some of, some of the real life stuff is even crazier because I think I had a, the journalist doing a lot of phone calls and stuff, but the yeah. journalist like, back when they were doing it, they actually like traveled to a lot of these places and talked to most oh, people like reading their book. It almost felt like it was like a dumb spotlight, you know, <laughs> instead of exposing the Catholic church, it's this guy. But so is this his book? Yeah, that is his book. 
of his story. Yeah, which okay. there's a there's a lot of funny stuff in here. I haven't dove all the way in yet, but on the back there is a review that <laughs> says uh, Mike Warnke's confession about the horrors of satanic worship surpasses any that could be conjured by the imagination. <laughs> if only they knew. Because it, yeah, it is. It conjured. is conjured by the imagination. And even to the people that don't take it very seriously, I think one of the sad things is is there's an appendix at the back of the book yeah. where it's like how to fight occultism. What can you do to fight spreading oh. occultism? And it's stuff like write letters to your congressman, ask them to make state legislator, uh, use the telephone to call newspaper editors and ask them to investigate occult activities, work with your church to be aware, investigate your schools, check courses for mysticism and literature about the supernatural. And he's like very clearly asking for real world action yeah, based on complete lies. And right. for what we know from the 80s, like all of this vitriol happen it it's going to be taken out on kids playing D D. right kids that are into rock music yeah and, yeah uh, yeah it's kind of like uh my guy's book how in the revision he uh, just put a bunch of punctuation yeah <laughs> equally intelligent people <laughs> exactly mike warnke and my guy yeah i forgot his name <laughs> yeah i've uh i've told a lot of people about this story because yeah. again we work around a lot of christian comedy yeah yeah <laughs> that's what i was yeah <laughs> without fail though everybody is like oh is the guy still alive yes you need to talk to the guy you need to get the guy yeah it's like the guy still does churches and i i cannot stress how little i am interested in talking in beating the actual guy it's i still YouTube channel. i know yeah you talk you told me about this yeah <laughs> I don't know why I told you as if <laughs> I don't know. This is this is part of why I want to make a movie even more. It's like I don't know what part about it is hard to understand that like he's no a one man. should be talking like yeah. Th- I I hear Christians all the time. They're talking about like oh don't throw the baby out with the bathwater. Everyone makes mistakes, and I've seen a lot of people justify like still listening to his comedy where he's like talking about it and it's like it's not a mistake to randomly steal hundreds of thousands of dollars over the course of two decades at the expense of people i don't know i i have so little (laughs) right i only but but he's so funny and charming i think that it's it's interesting how people act that way around entertainment figures and we've noticed that in like the work we've done over the years oh yeah no yeah i i i'm I only defend, like, Michael Jackson. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Thank you so much for listening to Written By. We've been having a blast these past couple weeks, and we yeah. hope you have, too. Our email is writtenbypodcast at gmail.com. Yeah. You want to be responsible for the next episode. This was a listener suggestion yes, to do biopics. Yes, it so, was. Uh, and it led to one of our favorite episodes. Exactly. Yeah, so keep keep your suggestions coming. If you got stuff you want to hear us pitch a feature film about, or if you have short film topics that go into our listener bowl, writtenbypodcast at gmail.com. Follow us on all of our social media at Written by Pod. You can find us on YouTube, Written by Podcast, or you can find everything, I'm pretty sure, on our website, writtenbypodcast.com. Thank you so much for everybody who makes this show possible. Taylor Lockery, Drew. Um, am I forgetting anything? I think that's it. Hey, well, we'll see you thank next you. week. <laughs>